Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Have you ever had this experience where you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning and the worship leader asks the congregation just to stand up and sing praises to the Lord? But in your heart and in your mind, you just groan. And you think to yourself, with all the pain and all the hurt that I'm experiencing right now, how could I possibly Praise the Lord. What reason do I have to praise the Lord? Or uh, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking about all the sin of your past and the guilt is just weighing down on you. And instead of what reason do I have, you think to yourself, what right do I have to praise the Lord? And so you just stand there and you look at the words on the screen but your mouth barely moves. And yet, one of the most repeated commands in the Psalms is, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I went through a concordance this week and looked at the book of Psalms, and I saw that over 200 times it has the word praise in the Psalms. And about half of those, 100 of those, actually are commands to you and I as believers to praise the Lord. And so it's like praising the Lord is not even an option for those of us who know and love the Lord. Well, how is this possible? How is this possible? Yes, sometimes we're in a great place emotionally and spiritually. And so praising the Lord comes more easily. But often in our lives, and I admit to you, I've had this experience in my own life. Often in our lives, praising the Lord is not the first thing on our lips when we roll out of bed in the morning. How do you and I praise the Lord when our circumstances or guilt just weigh us down? One of our missionaries, Greg Gibson, and his wife, Mary Andre, are helping a new church plant about five years old in a little town north of Montreal called Blainville. And it's a very tough work. It's a tough work because... Christianity and God in our neighboring province, uh, many people are turned off. We had the privilege of having uh, Greg and Mary Andre in our uh, service a few Sunday nights ago. And uh, Greg was sharing with us uh, the struggle that some of the older generations have in Quebec because some of them are not even willing to talk about God. And when Pastor Rick asked Greg, how we as a congregation can pray for Quebec, Uh, Greg just said this without hesitation. He said this, pray that the people will have a big view of God. That they'll gain a big view of God. And then he went on to explain that for most people, their view of God is very limited and that their focus is on their own problems and their own situations. And they really need to know God for who he is and what he's done for them. And as I thought about Greg's answer, I, I thought quite a bit about it. 
I realize that that's what every single one of us needs. Even we in the church can lose our big view of God when our own hurts and our own hang-ups hinder our praise for him. The psalmist David recognized that it is possible to actually forget about who God really is. And he he, uh, worshipped the Lord and he wrote a beautiful worship song that reminds us that we have a king who is worthy of our constant praise. Praise that is not dependent on our circumstances, uh, but is actually inspired by his greatness towards us. This morning, I want us to gain back our big view of God. Just a few moments, we're going to turn to one of the most beautiful praise psalms in all of the Bible. A song about praising our great king. But before we take a look at it, I'd like us just to bow in a word of prayer and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we look into your word this morning, Lord, that you would just remove any distractions, any disruptions, Lord, in our minds and our hearts, and that we'll truly be able to listen to what it is that you have given us in your word. I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me right to the very center, uh, and then you'll find very close to that Psalm 103. Psalm 103. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to actually grab one of the blue Bibles that's probably near you in the front racks there and, uh, and find the psalm. If you're actually in the 1050 service, just put up your hand and an usher will bring you one of the Bibles so, so that we're all following along. Psalm 103. The title of the psalm in the ancient Psalter, the ancient uh, hymn book, is actually of David. That's simply what it says, of David. And if you take a look at the psalm, the psalm's main theme is actually framed at the beginning and at the end of the psalm. In verses 1 and 2, in the NIV, it says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verses 1, verses 2, praise the Lord. And then if you look at the last uh, three verses of the psalm, it actually says, again, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The word Lord there is in capital letters, as we heard last week. That means Yahweh, the personal name for God, as he's revealed it to his children. Praise the Lord. So we don't really doubt that the message of the song is actually that his followers, believers, are to praise the Lord. They're to praise him. But I've also suggested in the title uh, that I've given this message this morning, that it's a song about praising our king. And where do I get the fact that he's our king then from this passage? Well, let me just quickly explain to you uh, the structure of this this, uh, Hebrew poem or song. It's divided up into two unequal sections. And uh, verse 2 to 5 is one section, and verses 7 to 18 is the other section. Now, we're going to look at those two sections in just a moment because they give us the reason why we're to praise the Lord. But verses 6 and 19 actually stand out as a frame within a frame. And uh, verse 6 points out that the Lord is the great king who will someday restore justice. It says in verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And then verse 19 speaks of Yahweh or the great Lord, 
or the Lord as the great king whose throne is secure and his kingdom rules over all. So David is speaking of our personal God also as our great king, the divine sovereign of heaven. And it's in this psalm that David teaches us or reminds us of two things about our great king that causes his children to praise him. Things that actually don't matter on our circumstances. They don't rely on our circumstances. We praise the Lord, our King. We're going to start off with the first section. It's verses one through five, and you can follow along. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Why are we to praise the Lord? No matter what the circumstances are in our life, but we're to praise the Lord for the benefits that he bestows upon us. The benefits that he bestows upon us. The word benefits is actually uh, the same term that's used in uh, Psalm chapter 13, verse 6, which says, uh, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. And in many translations, they translate this literally, which says, he has dealt bountifully with me. What does the word bountiful mean? Well, I, uh, the word bountiful, when I think of the word bountiful, I think of Fair Havens Conference Center. Now, that's our denominational uh, family camp. Uh, it's a beautiful conference place. If you've never been there, I encourage you to go there. It's an it's amazing place. My wife and, her, and I and our kids have been there several times. But every Friday night, they have something called the Bountiful Buffet. And I'm not talking about leftovers here, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, you walk in there, and Jim and Lois Hanberry actually take you to your seat. And uh, you sit down, and then you go up to the buffet, and it's unbelievable. Uh, mountains of, of turkey with stuffing and all, all trimmings and, and roast ham and succulent roast beef with Yorkshire pudding and every kind of potato you can imagine and all the so- different types of salad you can imagine. But you don't want to fill up on first course because you get to the dessert table, and it is just overflowing with pies and cheesecakes and fruit platters, and I'll tell you, the only bad thing about the Bountiful Buffet is that our appetites are limited, and so you can't sample everything. And uh, when I think of the word bountiful, that's what I think of, because it's called the Bountiful Buffet. Back to Psalm 103, God showers us with blessings in a bountiful way, and they're translated in this passage as his benefits, his benefits. Now let's take a look at some of these benefits that God's bestowed on us so generously. And even though David preaches to himself in the beginning of this passage, not to forget them, we do sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we've forgotten them because our focus is so often, as Pastor Rick said uh, so fittingly last week, at street level. First benefit is complete spiritual healing. 
The first part of verse 3 says, who forgives all your sins. And the Bible teaches us that our sins are forgiven as we place our trust in God. And the New Testament teaches us as we place our trust in the sacrifice of his son. We are forgiven as we turn away from our sin and we place our trust alone in Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Let's just stop right there. Why don't you think about that just for a moment? Pastor Mark uh, last week pointed out to us that sometimes the, the depth of our own depravity and our own sin hasn't really hit us. We haven't absorbed the enormity of this benefit that God has provided for us. But for those of us who do recognize how far we've fallen short of God's glory, this verse is staggering to us. This benefit is staggering. Think about it. We've all sinned and infinitely fallen short of an infinitely holy God. And the sheer weight of the guilt that overcomes those of us who have not had our sin dealt with is crushing. Listen to what David said in earlier words in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. He wrote this, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And as a result of that, he ends his psalm in absolute praise to the Lord. Do you want to hear some great news? God has completely forgiven those of us who have placed our trust in him. He's absolved us of all of our guilt. He's forgiven all of our sins. And I'm going to ask you something. Try to wake up in the morning or try when you wake up in the morning to just meditate on that one fact. Don't think about your circumstances. Think about what God has done in forgiving your sins. And you'll have a hard time not praising him. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I could just end the sermon right there. And we would have enough reason to praise the Lord continually. That's only the beginning. If the first benefit is complete spiritual healing, then the second is complete physical healing. The second half of the verse says that he heals all your diseases. Just wait a second, Pastor Daniel. I know what you're going to say. When I first read that verse, I had some very serious questions. Heal all my diseases? Yes. Yes, that's what it says. Now, some people in this life do see God heal them in miraculous ways, and we've seen that. However, we also know people among us, godly Christian people, who suffer illness. Despite repeated requests and prayer for healing, they still are suffering. And perhaps that's your experience. 
You're not alone. The Apostle Paul actually experienced disease. We don't know if it was with his eyes. Some people think it was. He admitted in Romans chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians 4 that outwardly in the body, he was actually groaning and wasting away. So what does this phrase, heals all your diseases, mean? Well, I believe that we as Christians, we actually have a, sometimes we have a limited view of what life is all about. Eternal life. And we tend to make such a division between this life and the life to come after heaven. And I've heard often said that when Jesus promises us eternal life and says, I've come that you may have life, it's life now, not life after we die. Eternal life doesn't start after we die. For the believer, death is just a doorway from one side of heaven to the other. Here in Psalm 103, it says that God's children will experience healing of their diseases. And for some, yes, this healing will come on this side of heaven. And that's remarkable. And that's glorious. And we've seen it happen. For others, it will be at the moment of death. And if we were to actually look at either of these healings, whether it's now or at death, in comparison with our eternal life, do you know what? It's almost simultaneous, isn't it? In comparison with eternal life. There's little difference in the, in the timing of the healing. Ultimately, everyone who places their trust in the Lord will be healed. That's the eternal perspective that the Apostle Paul teaches us about. That passage that I alluded to in Romans 8.23, it says that even when we groan inwardly, we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies that is promised to us. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 24, takes this verse, Psalm 103, uh, verse 3, and actually kind of flips it around and says this, No one living in Zion will say, I am ill. Zion means the city of God. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Henry Francis Light understood this concept of being healed, even if not on this side of heaven. H.F. Light, Henry Francis Light, he, became, he lived in the first half of the 1800s, and he actually was orphaned at the age of nine. A pastor took him in. Uh, he wanted, as he was, went through his teenage years, to be a doctor, but his health was so poor that he decided to become a pastor. He couldn't uh, take all the training. And, you know, I'll tell you that uh, he went in to be a pastor, and he wasn't a Christian. He actually became a Christian after he had been a pastor for a while. And uh, it's kind of interesting. But he always struggled with very poor health. And for 25 years, he was a pastor in a little seafaring town called Brixham, a fishing town. The town knew him as Mr. Greatheart because he actually took care of the, both the temporal and the spiritual needs of the people in that town so well. One historian writes, Light worked unceasingly. His feeble frame constantly protested. Difficulties in the church hastened the deterioration in his health. Today, uh, H.F. Light is best known for the hymns that he wrote. And uh, one of the hymns that he wrote was actually inspired by this Psalm 103. It's some, some of you may know it. It's called, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. Anyone heard that hymn before? 
Praise my soul, the King of heaven. And the first verse of the hymn says, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting King. And although Henry died from tuberculosis in 19, or sorry, 1854, sorry, at the age of 54, he understood so well that healing from God may never come in this life until he meets Jesus face to face. And even on his deathbed, he penned words of hymns, confident that he was going to be in Jesus' presence and that he would experience final healing. Yes, some people give remarkable testimony to healing in this life, and I'm not diminishing that. To God be the glory for healing that he, when healing comes, whether it's in this life or the next, it comes from God. Someday, like Henry Francis Light, all of us will experience ultimate healing. But that's not all. First, verse 4 teaches us of a third benefit that our king bestows on us. And it's the promise of resurrection. Take a look at verse 4. It says, Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. We are redeemed from the pit, which is a reference to the grave. The grave will not be allowed to hold God's children forever. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament that Jesus conquered death when he rose again. 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 Verse 3 says this, or actually I'll I'll read to you verse 3, right through to uh, verse 6. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. and His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That promise of the resurrection causes us to fill our hearts with joy and sing praises to the Lord. The Apostle Paul also in 1 Corinthians 15 Uh, wrote about this. He said, death is swallowed up in victory. And that should cause us to praise our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. Here is one more benefit. In verse 5 of this psalm, David reminds them of a fourth benefit that actually impacts us every single day. It's the promise of the perfect satisfaction of our deepest desires through him. Take a look at verse Uh, Back in verse 5. It says, "Who Who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know that God has actually designed human beings in such a way that we have a deep thirst that can only be quenched by him. Human relationships, as wonderful as they are, can never completely meet our deepest desires. Scripture teaches us that intimacy with God through a close relationship with his son, the Lord Jesus, and a life of obedience and a life of praise to him are the New Testament uh, teachings of the good things that we hear from David about here. Good things. And you know, so many times we try to fill the desires in our hearts with 
with things that only leave the hole inside of us deeper and deeper. Some of you have, know what I mean when I say you've tasted the good things. You know what I'm talking about. The psalmist says that when God satisfies our desires with good things, that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And I love this illustration. Both here and in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, the eagle is a symbol of unflagging strength. And when we go to God daily, when we allow him to meet our deepest needs and our deepest desires in our hearts, through relationship with him, he not only satisfies us, but he gives the strength to keep going. I tell people all the time that we need these times with the Lord. Daily. That's called our quiet time. Weekly. That's called Sabbath. And then sometimes we get so tired from life that we need to uh, spend some extended time with him in spiritual retreat in order to keep that relationship strong and those desires met. Let me just ask you a question. How would it change your life if you, wake, if you woke up every morning and you praise the Lord for these benefits? To praise him for his complete spiritual healing, forgiving you and cleansing you from your sins. To praise him for physical healing, whether it's on this side or the certainty of healing on the other side of heaven. To praise him for the promise of resurrection, that even though we groan from our sin, and our physical broken bodies, that one day that would be just like Jesus. To praise him for meeting our deepest desires with intimacy that only he can meet and the strength that only he can provide. We're commanded to praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. We're children of a great king. We need to regain a big and eternal view of God. As Pastor Rick said, we need to take our eyes off of street level and up to the Lord and an eternal perspective. Can I make a suggestion to you this morning? This is just something that I've tried the last uh, month or so, and uh, it's really impacted my quiet times in the morning. I've actually started off in the morning, every morning, by singing. I try not to sing too loud to wake everybody up in the house. But uh, I, I get out a, an old hymnal, and I go through it, and I find some songs that sing to God about his greatness and about his benefits. And you know what? It's amazing. After doing that for a little while, it's amazing what it does to our prayers. It's amazing what it does to um, our Bible reading. Things become so real. God does some amazing work in our lives when we praise him. That's just a suggestion. We praise our God for the benefits that he bestows upon us. But there's the next section of the psalm here. And the next section of the psalm explains that we praise him for the compassion that he carries for us. The larger section of the psalm goes from verses 7 to 18 in the Hebrew, and it's divided into six couplets, which is actually divided in half. So three and three. And each of those two sections talk about, they start off by talking about God's compassion for his children. And the, the idea of compassion in scripture speaks of a warm, tender emotions and feelings of God towards his children. And, you know, if we miss this aspect of God, 
our king, our concept of him will actually be too small and our praise for him will be stifled. Having God as our compassionate king evokes true praise. My wife and I were talking about this section in the psalm this week. And uh, Wendy was saying, she was saying, uh, can you imagine bowing before a king that we know is a tyrant? Now compare that with bowing before a king who we know is filled with love and compassion for us. A king who's adopted us into, our own, into his own family. That's so true. In fact, dwelling on the fact that our king has compassion on us elicits praise in our hearts. There are times in our life that you and I feel misunderstood. Perhaps we feel that there is no one on the entire planet that understands how we feel. Perhaps we feel lonely and tired of facing each day, isolated in a messed up world that seems to be spinning faster and faster around us. What does it mean during those times that God, our King, who's adopted all of us into his family, that this God has compassion for us? You know what it means? It means that we have hope. It gives us hope. It gives us a reason to praise him. Let's just take a closer look at these uh, verses in Psalm 103. I'm just going to read verses 7 to 10 to begin with. It says, He made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You know what we learn about God's compassion in this first uh, part of this section here? That should cause us to overflow our hearts with praise. And that is this. God's compassion extends to sinners. Verse 7 actually tells us that David's using the example of the story of the Israelites under Moses. And David is saying that God is dealing with, uh, God dealt with the Israelites back then with compassion when he was leading them into the promised land. It actually teaches us his ways when we look at those stories. Verse 8 starts off by saying that God is gracious and compassionate. He's a God of second chances. That he is slow to get angry and abounding with love. Do you remember all the times in that story of the Israelites going from Egypt to the promised land? Uh, how many times that God had to give his covenant people second and third and fourth chances? Do you remember that? It was a wonder that he didn't wipe them off the face of the planet like he did in Noah's day. After he had miraculously rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians, and days later, what were they doing? Rumbling. They were complaining. They were rebelling. Then they make this golden calf and they would start worshiping it. And Moses ends up interceding on behalf of God's people for his mercy. And what does God do? He shows them love. And he shows them compassion. But don't misunderstand scripture here. God doesn't wink at sin. It's not what this is talking about. He didn't then and he doesn't now. Disobedience to God always brings consequences. However, nor does God constantly accuse and harbor his anger forever towards those who fear him. For those who have placed their, their trust and hope in him. 
who truly repent, that person, this passage says, does not get what they deserve. You know, if God gave us what we deserve, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's Romans 6, 23 says that the price for sin is death. In that context, context, it's eternal death he's talking about. That's not where the verse ends. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How is that possible? Some people may ask. No one on this earth is that compassionate to give an innocent life for the crimes of another. How could God be that compassionate towards those who have deliberately disobeyed him? And the answer comes at, this, at the end of this section, verses 11 and 12. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, listen to this, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Why does God extend his compassion to sinners? Because his love for them is infinite. As high as the heavens or above the earth. And what has he done? He's proved it to us by removing our sins as far as the east is from the west. So we learn from these verses that God's compassion extends to sinners because he loves them with an infinite love. But then we also learn that his compassion is aimed at fragile mortals. Take a look at the next few verses. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. The point here is that God has compassion on us as a father has compassion on his children. But even more than that, he is the father that created us. We learned in Psalm 139, it was up on the screen earlier this morning, that God was intimately involved in creating us in our mother's womb. He, more than any scientist, knows how we are created and how vulnerable we really are. He remembers that we are dust and that our time on earth here is so short in the grand scheme of things that we just, we just flourish like a flower of the field and then the wind blows over and we're gone, forgotten by most of the world. But that's not depressing because he, our God, has compassion for us. Sometimes it's hard for people to actually see our Heavenly Father as compassionate because their earthly father was harsh or unmerciful towards them. But God's not like that. God is our perfect Father. But some people may ask, well, how can an infinite God care for us when we're just so weak and fragile and He's infinite? Again, this section ends just like the last section did, verses 17 and 18 by explaining where this compassion is really rooted. Take a look at this. Verse 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. His love is with those who fear him from everlasting to everlasting. How can he have compassion on us as as, as finite mortals, as finite human beings, because his love is infinite. 
His love is infinite. And that causes you and I to just to praise him and thank him. We as God's children are not forgotten. He watches and cares over every single one of us. And again, this section actually ends verses 20 uh, to, through 22 uh, with three praises. It's like a crescendo is now building up. And uh, we know that in the Hebrew poetry, when it's repeated like this three times, it's getting louder and louder. Listen to this. Verse 20, praise the Lord. And now he's not just talking about his own self. He's not telling himself to praise the Lord as he does at the beginning. He's talking to all the angels. He's talking to all of creation. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. And then he goes back and speaks to himself. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I start off my message uh, this morning speaking about how hard it is to praise the Lord when our circumstances seem to be choking our voices. And this week, again, I would encourage you to do, like Pastor Rick encouraged us last week, when we pray, don't look at street level. Look up. Look up. And then I'm going to add one more thing, and that is, before you pray, sing praises to him. Sing praises to him. Praise him for the compassion that he carries for you. Praise him for the the benefits that he's bestowed upon you. And you know what? Something powerful happens within you when you start to sing his praises. Something powerful happens inside of you. We see that all the way throughout scripture. Sometimes praise has to start with an act of obedience. I remember times in my life singing as tears were streaming down my face. I've talked to people just recently who told me that they had to sing praises to God as an act of the will, despite the emotional turmoil they were in. But I've also heard people say that their emotions eventually caught up when the splendor of who they were praising just hit them so hard. It's like they went from head knowledge about God down to heart knowledge. You're here this morning and you've been hearing all about God's bountiful blessings and his compassion towards his children, but you're not yet his child. This morning, he is calling you to receive his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And you're welcome, if you have not ever done that yet, to come up here to the front and pray with us to welcome Jesus Christ into your life and to become one of God's children. We're going to actually close in a word of prayer, and then Pastor Rick's going to come up and lead us in a final song. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, when we get out of bed in the morning, when we come to church on Sunday mornings, our hearts, those of us who love and know you, should just be overflowing with praise. Lord, help us not look at our circumstances. Help us not look at our past sins. But Lord, as we confess our sins to you, help us realize that we are forgiven. Help us realize that we have a great God who just loves us with so much compassion. 
And I just pray, Lord, that every person in this room, Lord, will continue to, to learn what it means to praise our great King. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.